each and every year on or around Good Friday, I find myself asking the same question. Did Jesus really have to die? No matter how many times we go through theological debates and intellectual back and forths, it's this question that I keep on asking. Was it really necessary? Did it have to happen? Did he have to die? For someone like me? Wasn't there any other way for him to still do what he set out to do to free the world from darkness and to show how big his love is? Did it have to be that brutal, that public, that bad? Last week, I spent some time with Atamariki during Children's Church, and we talked about Easter. And of course, they asked the good question, which I wasn't prepared for. Why is it called Good Friday? They said there's nothing good about it. Is there? And then it made me think, really think of why did this have to happen? To look at it from a political point of view, we have to be honest and say it was what happened in those days. That was the done thing when someone posed as a threat to the establishment. You didn't just get away with it. And then in the case of someone like Jesus, who was someone who publicly demonstrated, confronted, and stood against the dominating ruling system, it made some people, especially Jewish leaders, uncomfortable and scared, furious, and at the end ready to take drastic action. Initially, what Jesus said and what he stood for made people all excited. We talked about that on Palm Sunday. This could be the one. This could be our king, the one that can change it all for us. But the leaders, mostly, weren't all that ready for the changes Jesus was about to bring. And so the moment comes where the Jews, those who had been against Jesus from the get-go, also those who later on changed their minds a little bit, wanted Jesus dead. And they wanted the Romans, to whom Jesus posed the threat, to kill him. Furthermore, they wanted him dead because he was attracting too much attention. Too many people flocking to hear what he had to say. It was uprooting social and religious order. The way he lifted up sinners, the broken, the poor, the women, the children, the outcast. It couldn't be tolerated. It shouldn't be tolerated. The community had standards that needed to be obtained. But then, of course, there were more reasons why this day, I dare to say, needed to happen. And we know. We talked about the political reasons of why it had to happen. But what about when we move from our heads to our hearts? Why did it have to happen? The symbol we used last night in trying to understand Jesus' last night before his death was the towel. Last night, the towel became the symbol of the one who came to serve, not to be served, but to kneel and to serve others, to break bread and pour wine and serve. And in that, he demonstrated how his new command to love others 
came alive. The symbol I want to use today for looking and trying to understand Jesus' last hours before his death, the symbol I want to try and use to answer the question, why did it all have to happen, is the crown. It has to do with the fact that he wore and made a crown of thorns fit on his head. The robe, the crown of thorns. Those were things that were a symbol showing everyone who dared to look that he accepts this role because of the world, because of the people in the world. To become a king, the king, we so desperately need. Not the king those first followers thought he might have been. Not the king who fits into our boxes and our preconceived ideas. When he wears that robe and that crown of thorns, we see how serious Jesus is about being our king. The king of kings whose whole outfit is to mock, to represent suffering, the suffering servant who came to serve. The robe of humiliation represents how all of humanity is wrapped up in the love of God. And how all of this means that this king creates a new kingdom for us. And that made some people want to kill him. Let's read about what happened in those last few hours. John 19 from verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown and the thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to him, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and the officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I found no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have the power either to free you or crucify you? Jesus answered, you have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be king opposes Caesar. 
When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at the place known as the stone pavement. It was the day of the preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So say the word of God. The conversation between Jesus and Pilate carries on a little bit longer than what we've just read. There are more back and forth between Jesus and Pilate and the crowd. One of the biggest things that made people so excited, yet so uncomfortable, was the fact that Jesus was seen as a king. The king, the new king. That was the question Pilate toiled with during this time with Jesus. Just before what we just read in John 18... Pilate asked Jesus. Pilate then went back into the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. So Jesus never answers him directly, but he talks about his kingdom. And when he does, it's more than just this earthly place, this earthly life. But Pilate doesn't quite get it. Why are these people so adamant to kill Jesus? A number of times he goes back to Jesus, he goes back to the masses, and I say, I don't agree with all of you. You who want to sentence him to be killed, I don't agree with the threat you say he poses. John 18, verse 38, I find no basis for a charge against them. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? You can feel this unease, right? The unease in Pilate, not knowing where to go, not knowing exactly what to do. He doesn't get it. Why Jesus? But his philosophical ideas don't carry much weight in a world of politics and power and armies. People of that world want results. And over and over the masses tell him, give us Jesus. He claims to be the son of God. Pilate even tries one of his last resorts, how to get a way out, and say, I release a prisoner every year for you. I can release Jesus. No, comes the answer. And with that, something very interesting happens. The Jews who bring crucified, so they don't want to go against their law, so they say, 
But right after that, they tell Pilate to get him onto their side. They know what to say. They say, there is no other king, only Caesar. And in that, in saying that, they sway Pilate to crucify Jesus. He knows you cannot be seen as someone who would rather side with Jesus, who says he's the king, than siding with Caesar. You can't be a friend of Jesus who opposes Caesar. That would never work, especially when being a friend of Caesar is so beneficial. What would people think of that? But the interesting thing is when the Jews do this, then they go against their own law. The law that says they shall. And so in that they sway him and Pilate chooses for the kingdom he knows. The kingdom of the year and now. And he gives over our king to be crucified. When we look at Pilate and the calls he makes and those dire moments, it is impossible to not see ourselves mirrored in his actions. How many times are we standing in the middle of two kingdoms, two kings, and choose the wrong one? How many times do we ask questions, trying to figure out which way to go and what life to choose, the convenient way, the popular way? And how many times do we say yes and go to that side? And so it makes me come back to our initial question, why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to go through all of that? Because what we see up until those last minutes, right up until his last breath, we see injustice and pain and suffering. We see mocking and cruelty and deceit. We see loss and tears. And we still see all of that around us today. And we so often participate in that. In one way or another, big or small, the world still shows signs of indignity and pain and loss and mocking injustice, deceit, and denial. And we take part in creating a world where the light does not shine through, where the darkness sometimes takes over light. And when we do that, when we continuously do that, we continuously say we need a king that will die. We need a king that will die and through that create a new kingdom so that we can see an alternative is possible. So that we can see and feel the monumental scale of God's goodness and love and then participate in it. As I was typing these words, I felt so hesitant to write them thinking about my own ways and my own actions and thoughts and how these words that the world created a new, that the world needs a new king, a new kingdom, not only to benefit from it, but to learn from it, to imitate it. 
I read how the crucifixion happened, and if I don't confess my part in creating a world that needs love, I'm missing a very big part of Good Friday. I'll say it again, I'm thinking of my own life and how my actions create a world where we need a king and a kingdom. It's not easy thoughts to process. And that's why today is necessary to hear that in the blackest of Fridays, there is also good. There is someone who knew that we needed to be shown love and compassion so that we can take it, yes, learn from it, yes, but love it. The kind of passion that Jesus showed is just so amazing. But it's not just restricted to Good Friday. We see Jesus' passion throughout his whole journey into Jerusalem. And that life, together with Good Friday, teaches us how to choose between a kingdom of thrones and a kingdom of thorns. The kingdom of the world or the kingdom that is meant to change the world, even on the darkest of days. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget our part, the part we have to play in creating that new kingdom, because we receive it freely. The ironic plague says it all. Here hangs the king of the Jews, the Lord of the church, the king of kings, the Lord of creation, exalted and lifted high.